Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I thank you for this Shabbat that you have given us an opportunity for us to gather as Mishpacha's family to worship in your presence, to experience you face to face as Moses experienced you on Mount Sinai. Father, I thank you that you have given us your word that is never changing but ever living, that every time we open up your word, depending on where we are at that time in our life and what we're going through, that there is always your voice speaking fresh and renewed into our hearts and our lives. Lord, I pray that as we open up this week's Parsha, as we open up the word of God, uh, beginning with Parsha Bo, that you will speak directly into our hearts and our lives today, that it will be your voice heard, your words received, that nothing of me will be involved except that which you have ordained for this purpose. B'Shem Yeshua in the name of Yeshua Messiah we pray, and everyone says, Amen. Uh, so as I mentioned just a second ago, we are in Parsha Bo this week. Um, this is the final three of the plagues over, is, over Israel, over Egypt. Um, as a matter of fact, these are plagues that we didn't experience. Um, it's a good thing. Uh, it's really, look, I, I try to picture, you hear me talk about this a lot because uh, I'm, I'm sort of ADD and, and this is where my brain goes. But um, when, we're, when, we, when we read scripture, when I read scripture, I read it like in my head, I'm watching it play out like a movie. And so I get to this week's Parsha where it's talking about the darkness, uh, the Hoshech, the darkness over Egypt. And I just think about the fact that imagine being in Goshen where Israel was, was located, where the, the central hub of, of the descendants of Abraham were in, in Egypt. And, and imagine as out of nowhere, everything goes dark, except for Goshen. And the entire nation of Egypt, I mean, they can't see their hand in front of their face. You ever been to in a cavern, like one of the state parks in Florida along the Panhandle, there's the Florida uh, State Caverns Park or whatever, Florida Caverns State Park, whatever it's called. And we went down there once uh, years ago, long before we had kids. I want to take my kids there because I know not and I would freak out and it would be awesome. But uh, the <laughs> you got to get a hug when you get a hug, right? He's scared. I can uh, No. So we, we went there years ago, uh, Danielle and I did, and, and her sister was with us. And you go into the cavern, you end up uh, going, I think it's about a mile, maybe just a touch over a mile below ground in this cavern. And they go, okay, now you've been in the dark before, like you've walked out of your front door at night in the middle of the night when it's dark and you really can't see a lot going on, but you've never experienced darkness. They said, and what we're about to do now, you're going to experience darkness. And then they hit the switch and every light in the cavern goes out. And then you feel bad for the voices you hear at the other end that are just entering. No, they, they take you down in, in groups. But um, every light in the cavern goes out and you literally can see nothing. I mean, nothing. It is darker. It's so dark that you can fill the darkness. It's crazy. And then we think about the fact that physics, you know, in, in terms of, of physics, there, there's actually no such thing as darkness. You know, scientific law says there's no such reality as darkness. Darkness is merely the absence of light, right? Just like there's no such thing as cold. It's merely the absence of heat. You can't measure darkness. You can measure light. You can't measure cold, but you can measure heat. So darkness isn't really an actual tangible reality. It's just the absence of the tangible reality of light. And then we think about the fact that Israel has been called, as Isaiah says, to carry the light, to be a light to the nations. 
And here we have Israel, and this isn't at all my message. I have no idea where this is coming from, but it's really awesome nonetheless, right? It'll preach. But um, here Israel is in Goshen, and all of Egypt is dark except where Israel is. And, and then we picture Israel as they go next week through the Yam Suf, through the Sea of Reeds, and how the presence of God lifts and goes behind them and makes it dark for Egypt and light for Israel. Uh, as they cross over the, the water on dry ground, and we see all of this happening, and then we recognize that the, the word says, the Brachadashah says in John 1 that Yeshua is that light, that he is the light of man, that all things were created through him, and we recognize that it says that uh, the darkness shall not overcome the light. And I want you to understand that that is a powerful image to grasp a hold to. That's a powerful image, and oddly enough, this wasn't anything, not only is it not part of my message that I had planned, it's not at all anything I had planned to say, but oddly enough, it feeds right into my message, which is really cool. Um, I, I like when God works. But um, as we look at this and we see in this Parsha that idea of, of how there were plagues that, that affected Israel and there were plagues that didn't, it wasn't that God was punishing Israel, but he was trying to show to the nation of Egypt and to the nations of the world as a whole his might and his power and his glory. And when the worst of the worst of the plagues came on, Israel didn't experience them. One of which is in particular, as long as they put the blood upon the doorpost, which is a foreshadowing of us and accepting the blood of Messiah upon the doorpost of our heart. So you have your scriptures. Uh, I want you to cleave to that idea of, of the, the, the darkness not overcoming the light. I want you to cleave to that idea of, of the reality of God's might and his power among Israel in Egypt and what we are called as the body of Messiah to do in the dark world that is around us. But turn to, to Exodus chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. It says, then Adonai said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, because I've hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, so that I might show these my signs in their midst, and so you may tell your son and your grandchildren that I have, what I have done in Egypt, as well as my signs that I did among them, so you may know what I, that I am Adonai. Um, and, and before I go any further, I just want to, to bring that out. Somebody asked this in Q&A this morning, and and I wanted to bring this out real quick. When it says here in the Parsha, it talks about Pharaoh's heart being hardened, right? In last week's Parsha, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Uh, the very beginning of the discussion, when Moses is sent to Pharaoh, says that Pharaoh hardened his heart after each of the early plagues. It says Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then all of a sudden, the, the language shifts, right? And in this week's Parsha, it says that Adonai hardened Pharaoh's heart. But what's really interesting is if we go back to the Hebrew, Translating it to harden, it's a fair translation. Uh, it's a fair translation. But there's actually two different words that are used that we translate to hardened in the last week's Parsha and this week's Parsha when it talks about Pharaoh's heart being hardened. There's two different Hebrew words that are used. And it depends on the scenario as to which one. So the first is the word chazak. Sound familiar? This is the root word of what's here. Chazak. Sound familiar? We say it every, uh, every uh, time we come to the end of the Torah, part, or the, the, the book of the Torah. Uh, so when we finish Bereshit and we move to, to Shemot, at the end of Bereshit, we proclaim, chazak, 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 Be strong, be strong, and let us be strengthened. Uh, in Deuteronomy, the Lord speaks to, to, through, through Moses to Israel and says, Be strong and be courageous. In Joshua, he speaks through Joshua to Israel, and he speaks to Joshua and says, Be strong and be courageous. And the word used there is chazak, the same root. So the word here in Exodus 7, in, in each of the cases in Exodus 7 where it says that Pharaoh's heart, heart was hardened, uh, it's used in Exodus 9 verse 12, it's used in Exodus 9 verse 35, in Exodus 10 verse 20, Exodus 10 verse 27, Exodus 11 verse 10, and Exodus 14 verse 8. The word, the, the root word chazak the, is the, the word there, and this means to strengthen, to seize, or to make obstinate. 
And then figuratively speaking, it also means to be courageous. So when we look at Pharaoh, Pharaoh's purpose in the narrative of Israel, Israel was in Egypt to build a nation, to be birthed as a nation, but Pharaoh's purpose was to stand in uh, a mock courage, if you would, against the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if you pay attention to scripture, this reminds us, uh, it, it, it is in essence, as Moses is a foreshadowing of the Messiah, uh, Pharaoh is a foreshadowing of the anti-Messiah, who stands in mock courage against the Lord, against the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The other term that's used is kabod, that's the, the root word, kabod, and we find this in Exodus 8, and each of the cases in Exodus 8 that it says Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and we find it in Exodus 9, verse 34, and Exodus 10, verse 1. So in Exodus 10, we see both used, right? So it's, it's the, the word kabod, and it means to be heavy or burdensome. Both of these terms don't exactly sound the way we picture it when we're reading this, right? So when we read that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart in this week's Parsha, and we recognize that the terms used there uh, are, are in, in the first part in, in Exodus 10.1, it's kabod. It means it was a, a, a heavy heart or a burden on his heart. And then in the rest of this week's Parsha, when it talks about it, it's the word chazak is the root word, which means the Lord strengthened his heart or, or gave him this courage to stand against who? It wasn't against Israel. Is to stand against God. And I want you to understand this because Messiah says that the world around us is going to hate us, but it's not because of, of us. It's because who's in us. So the world around us becomes chazak. They become courageous against the Lord, not against us. They just don't know the Lord. So their aggression comes to us. And the same is true with Pharaoh in Egypt. The aggression that he had wasn't aimed specifically at Israel. But Pharaoh thought he was the God of all gods. He's the reincarnation of Ra and so on and so forth. He thought he was the supreme leader of the world. And yet here is a God who is even greater than him. The God of all gods, the king of all kings, of whom even his magicians and sorcerers couldn't compare against. And so what we see here is that first Pharaoh strengthens his own heart. He gets a little um, uh, chutzpah he gets a, a little chutzpah. He gets excited to go and, and get riled up again. And then the Lord is strengthening his heart. Not because the Lord wants Israel to be punished or to suffer more. As a matter of fact, we don't really see in these latter plagues there being any further burden put on Israel than what was already there, unlike at the very beginning of the narrative. But instead, Pharaoh's heart continues to get riled up, I don't think at Israel per se, but at the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the one true and only God of all creation. And then we look at this Parsha, and it continues on here, right? So Moses has been told by God yet again to go to Pharaoh. So verse 3 of chapter 10 says, So Moses, Aaron, uh, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, This is what Adonai, the God of the Hebrews, says. How long would you refuse to humble yourselves before me? Let, me, let my people go so they may serve me. And again, as we said last week, the, the language here isn't let like it's a passive thing, like, Pharaoh, would you please let my... No, the language here is shalach, to, to send them forth. It's a forceful expulsion. It's not just Pharaoh going, all right, all right, I'll let you off the leash for a little bit. You can go, you know, when we take our dog out to the, ball, the, the dog park and you let them off the leash and they go run. No, what it's talking about is a forceful expulsion. He's kicking Israel out of Egypt. He's driving them out forcefully which if you know anything about Israel as a whole, we read through the scripture and the history of our people and we recognize sometimes we need that kick in the butt to actually get moving, right? Um, we spent 40 years in the wilderness because we were still hung up on the past rather than the future. 
And sometimes it takes that kick in the tail to make us actually do what we need to do. Uh, Verse 4, or else, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your borders. Then they uh, they will cover the face of the earth so that no one will be able to see the ground. They will eat the remainder of what escaped, whatever is left from the hell, and eat every tree that grows for you out in the field. Your houses will be filled as, the, as will the houses of your servants and the houses of all the Egyptians, neither, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen since the day they, uh, they were on the earth until today. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. So I want you to grasp this. This is Moses who, just a few chapters before this, stood before the presence of the Lord and said, but, but God, I don't even speak well. What do you mean you want me to go to Pharaoh and talk for you? I don't speak well. I, I, I can't, and, I, and I've told you before, I don't know that it was necessarily, you know, the, the common thread of thought is that, that Moses had some sort of speech impediment. I'm not so confident that that was actually the case. Um, I mean, it, it's very well a possibility, and the scripture doesn't give us clear evidence one way or the other. It's very well a possibility, but uh, I actually think that it's more likely that if we picture who, who is Moses, whose house was he raised in? wasn't raised in a household of, of Israel. He spent the first three years of his life with his mother, which is why he knew a little bit of Hebrew. But he spent his majority of his life, uh, adolescent uh, and young adult life, in Pharaoh's house. Being raised, in essence, as a grandson of Pharaoh, being raised, in essence, to maybe one day be Pharaoh himself. He spoke Egyptian as his first language. So it's no surprise that when the God of his forefathers says, I want you to go back to your brothers and sisters, the nation of Israel, and I want you to tell them, I am bringing them freedom, he goes, I can't talk to them. I don't speak their language. Israel looked at him as Joseph's brothers looked at him. It's just another Egyptian. I don't speak their language. So he gives them Aaron. And here is this man who just a few chapters before this was petrified of the idea of the calling that God was giving him. And by the time we get through the plagues, we see this emboldened man of God standing before Pharaoh, not just speaking to Pharaoh, but speaking the word of the Lord to Pharaoh. If you remember back to our, our uh, Ruach encounter study uh, a year or two ago, what is prophecy? Prophecy isn't just soothsaying. It isn't fortune telling. It isn't telling what the future is going to behold. Prophecy, biblically, is a call back to the Lord. It is speaking the word of the Lord for the purpose of Teshuvah, of repentance. So Moses was called to be a prophet, to speak the word of the Lord. And just a few chapters back, he was petrified of the idea of even representing the God of his forefathers among his brothers and sisters, the nation of Israel. Yet here he is standing before Pharaoh, standing before the entire nation of Egypt, boldly proclaiming the word of the Lord. And I think in our lives, a lot of times when the Lord gives us assignments, he gives us things that he would like us to do, we go, why me? What could I possibly add to this? I've known my entire life that my calling was to be a Messianic Jewish rabbi. I didn't want it. My dad's a rabbi. My father-in-law's a rabbi. I grew up watching rabbis and all the garbage rabbis go through. I didn't want that. Who wants, who's going to willingly say, I signed up. Yeah, let's do that. Right? It's just, it, it doesn't make sense. I didn't want it. And I ran from it. But I recognize now that not only was I created for this purpose, 
Not only was I created for it, but I was empowered by the breath of God, by his Ruach HaKodesh for this purpose, to speak his word, to boldly proclaim the realities of his word. And and 10 years, 20 years ago, when I first started out uh, training to become a rabbi, when I was uh, 19 or 20, when I first started training to become a rabbi, um, I... Why? Why am I doing this? Why am I here? The first message I spoke was less than seven minutes long. And and, and it was less than seven minutes long because I knew without a doubt I had a definitive word from the Lord to speak. And that was all I was going to say. I didn't know how to do this. I didn't know what any... And I spoke seven minutes and I got off the stage. And I had people walk up to me and go, that was the... I got more in that, that short message from you than I've gotten my entire life from, from preachers preaching for 30, 40 minutes, an hour long. I got more from that seven minutes. And, and, and looking at it now, when I go down to the conference in Orlando, the MJ Southeast Regional, I've got a 12-minute time slot while most of the other rabbis have 17 minutes. I've got a 12-minute time slot. Guess who's walking off the stage with time left on the clock? And guess who it is that people walk up to and go, man, that was such a powerful message to everybody else. No, uh, and... Uh, <laughs> But it's not because of me, it's because I just want to do what God wants me to do. I just want to get out of his way. And this is what God has called us to do, just like he did with, it, with, with Moses. Is he called him just to do his purpose. Moses didn't have to do anything else, right? We go to verse 9. Uh, so Pharaoh calls him back in and says, all right, who's going to go with you? Uh, if I send you out, who's going to go with you? Moses says, we will go with our young and our elderly, our sons and our daughters. We will go with our flocks and our herds, for we must have Adonai's feast for him. But he said to them, so may Adonai be with you if I ever do let you go with your little ones. See clearly now, evil is in your face. Not so. Go now, the men, and serve Adonai, for that's what you were seeking. Then they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. And then as the, the, the Parsha continues on, uh, the, the plague of the, of the, uh, the locusts happened and then the darkness, and Pharaoh calls the men and says, okay, listen, no more. Uh, uh, what do I need to make the stop? And, and Moses says, just let us go. And he goes, Pharaoh goes, okay, I'll let you and your children go, right? He's, he's negotiating. He's, he's trying to work through this. He says, I'll let you and your children go, but your livestock are staying behind. And Moses says, nope, nope, no deal, no deal. It's all or nothing. You let us go all out of this nation or nothing. And Pharaoh is back and forth, back and forth. And finally, Pharaoh says to him, I will kill you if I ever see you again. Just make sure this ends, but I will kill you if I ever see you again. And Moses goes, don't worry, you'll never see me again. And Moses knew he wouldn't see him again. Why? Because Moses knew what was about to happen. And the next thing is the death of the firstborn. And then, and then Pharaoh literally, shilach, he sends them, he casts them out of Egypt. Um, and, we, and we start to witness this occur. And, and so I look at Moses and, and, and I, I, I look at the, the reality of who Moses is and, and, and how he, I mean, if you read in, in the early parts of Exodus, he argued with God five straight arguments. He didn't win, but he argued five straight arguments, right? I can't talk. I'm no good. What are the, they're not going to listen to me. They're gonna, and then when he finally went to do what God said, he argued again anyways, right? Israel got excited because God was going to save them. Things got rough. And then Israel came back and said, you clearly aren't of God. And Moses goes back to him and said, see, I'm clearly not of you. Why did you send me to this? It's ridiculous. And God says, no, no, I want you to go. But they didn't listen to me the first time. What makes you think Pharaoh's going to listen to me? And I think a lot of times if we're honest with ourselves, God will put something on our heart that he needs or wants us to do right? And our immediate response is, but, but what am I? How am, how am I supposed to play into this? What, what do you think is going to come of me? Why are you calling? Look, there's so many other people out there that are so much better than me. 
that walk such a better life with you than me, that, that have greater faith, that are in their word more, that are on their knees more, that are fasting more, whatever it may be. And the Lord goes, yeah, yeah, but I don't need them. I need you. I, I don't want them for this job. This is your job. This is what I've called you for. And look, I'm talking from experience here, right? Because this was my life for several years when I was running from the calling. I, I used to say for years, and then it dawns on me every time I start to say that, that I'm only 36, so it really wasn't that long of a... I mean, in, in perspective at the time, it was, it was, it was a stretch, right? It was, it was a couple of years there. But, uh, but, but I, I've been there. I've been arguing and arguing. And there, there are times that I wake up in the morning now and go, come on, seriously? It's Saturday again? I don't want to... All right, all right. Let's. And then have one of the best services ever because it wasn't about me. But I think a lot of times this is, we're, we're like Moses. We just don't, we don't know what God's trying to do and we're afraid of trying to, uh, what if we muck it up? What if we get involved and we don't, what, what if I'm no good? Why am I called to this? But the reality is, is God doesn't call us because of who we are, but because of who we can be in him. He doesn't call us because of anything that we can do, but because of what he can do through us, because of what he wants to do through us. So we go to 1 Colossians 2. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians. 1 Colossians, There's only one Colossian. You get, if you get to Colossian, you're at 1 Colossian. You're, you're in the wrong book because I told you the wrong book. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. This is Paul speaking, and he says, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come with excellence of speech or, or, or wisdom, proclaiming to you the great mysteries of God. For I decided not to know about anything among you except Yeshua the Messiah and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. You ever followed the call of God and, and found yourself in this place? I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. I had a, a homiletics professor way back when in, in college that said, if you ever get up to preach and you don't have the butterflies in your stomach, it's time to walk away. Go realign yourself with the will of God because you're, you're now doing it out of you and not out of him. When you stand up to speak, when you stand up to minister, there should be, there should be some, something happening, stirring. There should be some nervousness. And that's when we recognize that it's not of us, it's of him. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but, and this is the key, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not be in wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What is it the Lord told Moses about his staff, about the works that he was going to do? It was for the Lord to demonstrate his might, his strength, his power before Egypt, and not just Egypt, but the entire world. And he's called you for his divine, divine purpose to show his strength and his power through you. Uh, we, we do speak wisdom, however, among those, verse 6, among those who are, are mature, but not wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Rather, we speak God's wisdom destined for our glory before the ages. None of the rulers of this age understood it, but if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, things uh, no eye has seen and no ear has heard that, that have entered the, the heart of mankind, these things God has prepared for those who believe, uh, those who love him. But God revealed those things to us through the Ruach. For the Ruach teaches, uh, searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men 
knows the things of a man except the man's spirit within him. In the same way, no one knows the things of God except the Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. So we might come to know the things freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words taught to human wis- by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Ruach, explaining the spiritual to the spiritual. I want you to understand The Lord has called you. If you are a follower of Messiah Yeshua, the Ruach HaKodesh is available to you. The power and the might of God is available to you. And he has called you to willingly humble yourself before him to allow his Ruach to operate through you for the purposes of his kingdom. I was asked during uh, Q&A earlier, uh, the question of how do we, in, in talking to other believers who don't necessarily believe like we do, who don't necessarily live like we do, how exactly do we express what we believe without being confrontational? And, uh, and, and generally speaking, you, you can't. <laughs> it's, it's not going to happen. But aside from that, the reality is, is, is when it's the time for us to speak those words, the Ruach will speak them. It will flow through the Spirit when it comes out. And that's when it's not confrontational. That's when lives are changed. That's when hearts are touched. When we speak the word of God, not just because it's some words we read on a paper, but it's because the spirit of God that inspired those words is speaking through us. Lives are changed. The world is changed. Everything around us is altered for his purpose. And I want you to understand the, 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 the spirit, the strength and the might and the power of the spirit of God that, that Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 2. It's talking about the authority that is given to us in the Ruach HaKodesh. Moses spoke with such authority. Moses spoke with that kind of authority. That's why Pharaoh let him in to talk to him. You ever notice it doesn't say Pharaoh went to put his name on a, a, a list of, of possible uh, guests for Pharaoh that day. It doesn't say he went like at the deli counter and grabbed a number and waited for his number to call. It says he, God told him, go to Pharaoh. Go now. And he just walked right in. Just walked right in. Now he's also... Not only is the Spirit of God operating through him, but he was the right man for the right job. Why? Because he was likely the cousin of Pharaoh. Possibly the nephew. It depends on the family line. And I mean, it's a little sketchy to try and figure it out at that point. But but he was a relative. So it wasn't a surprise the first time Moses walks in after 40 years and Pharaoh's like, oh, dude, cool. Hey, how you been? Where you been? We should go get a drink. We should go shoot some pool. We should go. We got to hang out. And then Moses is not, we ain't got time for that. Look, here's what you got to (laughs) know. I'm here from the God of the, of, of the Hebrews, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm here to tell you, you've got to send our people out. And Pharaoh goes, whoa, not the reunion I was looking for, dude. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know about this. What do you? Moses went in with the power of God. The authority of God was operating through the spirit of God in Moses' life. We go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, anyone, uh, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the, the, the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew. This is Yeshua, Yeshua speaking and beat against the house. And yet it did not fall for its foundation has been built on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell. And great was its fall. Now, when Yeshua had finished these words, the crowds were astounded at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority, not as their Torah scholars. Guess what we're called to do? We're called to emulate Yeshua and the power of the Ruach and the power of the Spirit of God 
we should speak the words of God with authority, just as Yeshua did, just as Paul did, just as Moses did, just as Elijah did, just as Elisha did, just as, as, as Isaiah did, as Jeremiah did, as Hosea did, we, as David did, as Solomon. We should speak the words of God with authority, not with fear and trepidation, but with authority. Even if you are scared so much that you're wetting yourself while you're saying them, speak it with authority because the Spirit of God is speaking through you. So often we find ourselves in this place where we give the enemy ground in our lives that he doesn't deserve. By the way, if you give him ground in your life, he doesn't deserve it. I don't care what the situation is. We give him ground in our life that he doesn't deserve. That he didn't take, we just gave it to him. The Lord calls us to do something and out of our fear, out of our anxiety, out of our, our, our perspective of who we are, and, and we start making excuses, right? How often have we said things, and, and uh, if you're anything like me, I, 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 I say I'm an extroverted introvert. Uh, uh, my wife is like diabolically introverted. She would be more than happy sitting in her, her jacuzzi with nobody else around her her entire life, and she'd be okay with that. Um, I'm an extroverted introvert, so I, am, I, can, I, can, I can function in this environment. I can, I can handle it, but you'll know when I'm over it. And I have to go and just kind of be by myself. And I'm cool with just being by myself too. I, I'm cool in both environments. I may have. And there are times when the Lord wants me to do something. I go, no, no, God, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, not, in, I'm not in the extrovert mode right now. I, I just, I need me time. I just need to be alone. I just need, and God goes, I don't care. I need you to go. And when we fall back on those excuses, which they really are, they're excuses, right? It may be, don't, don't get me wrong. That's not to say that you're not wired one way or the other. All right, God doesn't make mistakes. He made you who you are for a reason and a purpose. But just because you're an introvert doesn't mean God doesn't have a purpose for you outside of your comfort zone. And just because you're an extrovert doesn't mean God doesn't want you to sit down and shut up sometimes. Um, but <laughs> Speaking to the choir. But um, the, the reality is, is we use those as excuses. Just like Moses did. I don't speak so well. Whether it's a speech impediment or it was a, a, a lack of a, a active working knowledge of the language. Moses says, I don't speak so well. Moses, they're not going to listen. Or, God, they're not going to listen to me. Who am I that you're sending me? And God goes, all right, I've heard that one. Check it off the list. All right, there's another bogus load. Of, uh, you're almost out of the list here. There's no more garbage you can throw out that's lies. So you might as well just buckle and, and do what I'm asking you. I tried to go in the Marine Corps three different times because I did not want to be a rabbi. The only thing I ever wanted to do was to be a Marine. And I tried three different times, and every time I wasn't able to go in the Marines for the dumbest possible reasons. I failed a urinalysis. I've never done drugs a day in my life. I failed a urinalysis. Uh, I missed my weight cutoff by two pounds after losing 50 pounds in a month and a half to go in the Marine Corps. I missed my weight cutoff by two pounds in uh, one time. Uh, and there was, I forget what the third stupid thing was. Uh, but, oh, I know what it was. I missed my run time by like three seconds. Um, and, I mean, just really weird, really stupid, absolutely overcomable issues that, that now looking back, I recognize at the time, I was just ticked off that I wasn't in the Marine Corps yet, uh, but now looking back, I recognize God shutting down those doors. He was closing off those excuses I kept throwing out. 
And then one day when I failed it, the third time I tried to go in, I failed the urinalysis, and I had to wait 14 days before I could go back to MEPS to redo height and weight check and urinalysis, and then I could swear in and be shipped out for, for Paris Island when, uh, when the next uh, opportunity was available. And I had it all planned out. It just happened that the next opportunity was 16 days later. So I had it planned out that at 14 days on the dot, I was going to be at MEPS in Montgomery. I was going to redo the height and weight. I was going to redo the urinalysis. I was going to swear in. I was going to stay in Montgomery. And then two days later, I was going to hop a bus headed to Paris Island. It was already, I had all the, everything was ready to go. I had signed paperwork. It was all ready. The only thing I had to do was go back to MEPS and swear in and hop on the bus. And in that two-week period in between, I was uh, working out with the, the Marine recruiter, and I'm on my way home from the gym. Uh, at that point, I had a, a 92 Mustang convertible. It was a little four-banger LX. The, like, it was like driving a, 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 a Yugo, but it looked like a Mustang. Like It had no power, but it looked cool. Unless you saw the LX on the back, that wasn't so cool. But uh, the, the convertible, you know, I always had the top down. I'm driving home, driving down Airport Boulevard in Mobile, driving home from the, the, the gym or from the recruiting station. I've got the top down. I don't, I, for some reason, that particular day, I had uh, some sort of worship music playing. I don't remember what it was. And I'm sitting at a red light in front of Bel Air Mall. And I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I'm sitting at a red light in front of Bel Air Mall. Uh, on Airport Boulevard, heading west. Uh, we lived at that time, we lived in Cabana Apartments, and I'm, I'm heading west. And uh, as I'm driving or sitting at the red light, it, the, the best way I can describe it, I, I can't say I heard the audible voice of God. I definitively know that I felt the voice of God in my heart. I can't say I heard the audible voice of God definitively. But it was almost as though the best way I can describe it is, you, you ever had somebody walk up and smack you in the back of the head? Like, you know, somebody walks me, you're an idiot, shut up. <laughs> uh, that, that's kind of what it felt like. Uh, I, I kind of felt like God just kind of whopped me in the back of the head and then just started to unload. This is not what I called you to be. This is not what I created you for. This is not what I want you to do. This is not who you're supposed to be. But I'll tell you what. He told me, you can do whatever you want. You can either follow my will and do what I've called you to do and see great success, and see the things I have in store for you, or you can do what you want and go in the Marine Corps, and I will not shut it down again, and you'll deal with whatever consequences arise for being outside of my will. And I'm sitting at the red light, and I feel the Lord speak to me, and all of a sudden, I just break. All this time, all these years that I fought against the call of God, all these arguments that I made, everything that I put out there, I'm not good enough, nobody wants me, I, uh, and my dad's a rabbi, my father-in-law is a rabbi, I, I see what they go through, people suck, there's no reason to do this, I don't want to, all of this, and all of a sudden, I just broke, and all of that went away. The moment God said, I will not stop it again, reality sank in on just how far outside of the will of God I was. And I can tell you now, the job I was trying to go in the Marine Corps for, Danielle and I at this point had been married for about six months. We would have seen each other for about three to four weeks out of the next two years of me being in the Marine Corps. I can tell you without a doubt that if I had gone in the Marines two weeks later like I had planned, Danielle and I wouldn't be married today. Our children wouldn't exist today. This congregation wouldn't exist today. And we look back and we see all these little pieces that came together to create who we are in the Lord today. And any one of those falling loose, any one of those that we step outside the will of God on, and who knows what's going to happen. But the reality is, 
that God just wants us to humbly follow his leading. He wants us to recognize the boldness of his spirit that is within us. It doesn't matter the excuses and the things that we trump up that we think we're not good enough for his call for. He called us. He wants us. He will use us if we just get out the way. I talked at the very beginning, as we close this out, I talked at the very beginning about the light and the darkness of the, the, the ninth plague, the darkness over Egypt and light in Goshen and uh, its connection to the reality that in terms of physics, there's no such thing as, as actual darkness because it's not a tangibly measurable uh, uh, reality, but instead it's an absence of light. The Ruach HaKodesh in our life, that's that light that we have to walk in this dark world with. I, I like to imagine that if, if for whatever reason the entire nation of Israel decided they just kind of wanted to go on a walk through Egypt, that as they were going on a walk through Egypt while the entire nation was enveloped in darkness that could be felt, an immeasurable reality but could still be felt, that as they journeyed through Egypt, that the light that was provided by the light of God in the midst of all that darkness would have journeyed with them. And although everywhere they went, everybody they came in contact with would have been in darkness, they would have seen the light. And I believe, and this is just my thought and picture of how this all would have looked, all right? This isn't to say it's how it happened or what the, the Bible doesn't say any of this, but I like to think that the Egyptians bathed in total darkness could somehow sense and see the light that Israel was enveloped in. They couldn't experience it. They couldn't feel it. They couldn't recognize it, but they could sense it was there. And when you and I are walking in the call of God that he has created us for in the boldness of his ruach, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 2, not in the degrees that we have and the trumped up knowledge we think we have, not in the traditions of man or the ignore, ignorance of traditions of man, not in our political views or our lack thereof, not in our color of our skin, not in the way we talk, not in the, the language that we speak, not in any of that, but we just simply walk humbly in his presence and his call and his ruach. The world around us sees the light of his presence, a light that they need, a light that they're missing because their life in the world is enveloped in darkness that is tangible, that is real. How many of you have friends that are not believers, family that are not believers, that are, are telling you about their problems that they're experiencing? That doesn't mean you don't have problems. That doesn't mean we don't as believers have problems, but their problems are different. You can feel it. You can sense the difference, but they see the light in us. And John 1 says that the darkness will not overcome the light. You and I must boldly take up the cross of Messiah. We must boldly walk in the presence of his ruach. We must boldly speak as he commands us to speak so that the world around us will experience his light. Moses eventually did it. And we see the freedom that it brought to an entire nation. We see the reality that it provided in bringing about the nation that would ultimately be used by God to bring salvation to the world. Imagine how much he can do and wants to do through each and every one of us if we just simply give in to his presence, to his leading, to his call, if we just simply stop making excuses. Avarachamim, Father of mercies, we love you. We worship you and we adore you. Father, I pray that uh, as we receive your words today, as we hear your heart today, 
that, Lord, you will embolden us with your Ruach HaKodesh, that each and every person in this room, each and every person hearing these words will receive the anointing of your Ruach HaKodesh upon them in a mighty and powerful way so that we can go and do the work that you have prepared us for, that you have called us for, that you have created us for, that you breathe your breath of life within us for, and that we may do so boldly for the good and the purposes of your kingdom and the glory of your holy name. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua our Messiah we pray. And everyone says, Amen and Amen.